Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello there. I'm talking today about war from a Christian perspective, from the Bible perspective. And it is a lot more complicated than you may think. On the one hand, we know that God is a God of peace, that he comes to bring peace. We're told to preach the gospel of peace. We're told that we have peace with God. We have the peace of God. We make peace between men. Blessed are the peacemakers. And yet, on the other hand, we see war in the Bible. In Exodus, it says, Jehovah is a man of war. In the Psalms, David says, praise God because he trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. So there's this weird difference here between what we see in the Old Testament, especially, but then also in the New Testament. Jesus said that he's come to wrestle the kingdom of God into existence. He said that since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God suffers violence and violent men are taking hold of it. Now, what is that all about? And what about war? The reason I'm speaking about it is because we are remembering Remembrance Day, Poppy Day, for countries all around the world, especially those in the Commonwealth, but also others on the 11th of November every year, we remember all the wars and all the people who've died in wars. And we have ceremonies, we have services, we say prayers, we say thank you to God. What are we thanking God for? Is war good or is it bad? Are we supposed to honor and remember and celebrate those who've died in war? What is the Christian perspective on all of this? Well, let me just tell you how Remembrance Day came about. At the end of World War I, it ended on the 11th of November at the 11th hour. And so it was instituted as a memorial every year at 11 a.m. on the 11th of November every year. We would remember those who died in war. Now, First World War was named the war to end all wars because it was such a terrible war. So many people were killed. There was such destruction caused by World War I. And it involved so many countries from around the planet that they said, this is the war to end all wars. After this, we won't have any more war. And yet we know that since 1918, there have been so many wars. World War II is the obvious one, but there have been constant wars around the world. Millions, multiplied millions of people have died. And what is the reason for it? So I'm going to go through a few points. I'm going to bring what the Bible says into this. Uh, but let me just go through one by one. First of all, James chapter 4 says that war is not God's plan. It says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Interesting, he says among you, because he's not just speaking of global wars or wars between countries or tribes. He's talking about in individual wars. You know, even in your own job, in your own family, wherever you are, there are little wars going on. And he says, where do these wars come from? Why do we fight with people? He says, do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? So he says, the problem is there's a war going on inside of you. <laughs> the reason there's war outside between family members and workmates and between countries is because people have a war going on inside of them. Their conscience, their desires, 
uh, evil desires and good desires are warring. He says, uh, the desires for pleasure are warring in your members. You lust and you do not have. You murder, covet, and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Uh, he says that we murder and covet and cannot obtain. Do you remember Jesus said, even if you speak hatefully to another person, it's the same as murder. Often we don't go as far as picking up a gun and shooting that brother or aunt or whatever it is who's, who's annoying us. But in our hearts, we hate and we want to kill them in our hearts. We don't actually have the courage to go ahead and do it. And he says, uh, we, we do not have because we do not ask. We need to ask God and war is not his plan. So let me deal with a couple of things. And, and the first one is to say, why does war happen uh, from a global perspective? And what does it teach us? Why does God allow wars to continue? Wars are a constant part of life. In fact, we're told in the New Testament that there will be wars and rumors of wars right up until the end when Jesus comes. And then right at the end of his second coming, there's Armageddon, which is a massive war, 200 million soldiers uh, gathered against the Lord, and there's a big war. And then at the end of the thousand years of peace, there's another big war, which Jesus wins. So why is there war? The main lesson or the main truth that we get out of war is that sin, individual sin, where I choose to go against God, has consequences that are damaging and destructive. Sin causes destruction. And so when a person is cruel to me or, or unfair to me or steals from me or treats me without respect, there is a consequence in, my, in myself and it causes me to want to respond with revenge or with some kind of retaliation. And it's the same between countries. War proves that we are broken people in a broken world. It also proves that we can't solve our problems on our own. World War I was supposed to be the war that ended all wars. It didn't work. We have not managed to find a way to end wars because human beings cannot solve the problem of sin and selfishness and destruction. We can try, we can mediate, we can try and form peace treaties, but at best, they are compromises and they are not fully satisfactory. Nobody is ever fully happy. There are people taking advantage of other people. Sin is in the world. It's, it's a confirmation of what the Bible says. The world is broken because of sin and uh, we cannot fix it. We try all these different methods and war is often the final uh, outcome of all of these conflicts and we still cannot fix our problem. We know that God wants wars to end. And in the thousand years of peace, when Jesus is ruling and reigning on the earth, it says in Isaiah 2, He shall judge between the nations, rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. God, in a thousand years, when Christ is reigning on the earth, is going to show us we can have a society without war. But even then, it's because there is a righteous ruler, Jesus, who enforces peace, even though some people still don't follow him in that thousand years. And then in heaven, there is proper peace forever. So that, that's kind of the background of war and what it shows us. But I just want to address something here. The Old Testament and the New Testament view of war. 
You know, in the Old Testament, there are several instances where people were wiped out. And in fact, sometimes God told his people to wipe out another nation or another city um, or whatever it was. He told them to wipe them out. And we say, does that not show that God is a God who loves to kill people? There is an internet forum where a question was asked uh, or a statement was made. God killed more people in the Bible than the devil ever killed. And uh, the Lord gave me a, an answer, which I believe is, is from his word, is that God never intended anyone to die. In the Garden of Eden, he intended everyone to live forever and death was not part of his plan. And it was the devil tempting humanity to turn away from God that brought death and every single death thereafter, including all the wars and all the destruction, were caused by sin, by human sinning at the instigation of the devil. And so God never killed anyone. But you say, why did God have to do this? Important for us to know, Ezekiel 33 says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He takes no pleasure in it. However, he has said that sin causes death. That's not his pleasure. That's not his want, his desire. That's not what brings him joy. He mourns when it happens. But he says, if you turn away from me, God says, if you cut yourself off from me, the source of life and goodness and joy and peace, death will result. And sometimes it requires death in order for more life to come to pass. What do I mean by that? God was working out a plan right from the beginning of the Bible when Adam and Eve sinned all the way through to Jesus. God was working out a plan to bring the remedy, the medicine, the salvation that would solve the problem of war and sin. And that was Jesus. He was working out a plan by creating, first of all, Abraham and then a nation, one of um, Israel. Israel was the, the, the descendant of Abraham and then a nation out of that and then Judah and all the way through Judah's line to Jesus. And then Jesus was born and Jesus defeated the devil and fought a war with him in such a way that he made it possible for there to be peace. But until Jesus had come, God had to find a way to protect this lineage that he was preparing, this plan, this rescue plan. He had to find a way. And there were times, a few times, not many, but there were a few times when this plan was threatened by a nation, another nation that would wipe out the Israelites and stop God's rescue plan before Jesus could be born. And so God had to step in. Now you say, is it fair? Is it right that he did that, that he judged those people? And we understand from the Bible that the wages of sin is death, that when I turn away from God, I, I've committed the, the sin that brings a death sentence on myself. I've chosen that. I've chosen to turn away from God and receive a death sentence. And so they would have been judged at the end of time. They just got their judgment early and God is within his rights to do that. But he's generally patient and we're told in the Bible, he's slow to anger. He wants to give more and more time just in case people will turn back to him. But there are occasions where he has to step in and wipe out a nation. And it's normally where he says their sins have reached a point where I cannot hold back any longer. And I have to judge because it's going to interfere with my rescue plan. An example of this would be an amputation. If you had 
an infection on your finger, uh, gangrene, and it was going to spread to the rest of your body and you knew that you had to do something about it. You wouldn't be happy about having to cut off your finger, but you would say, I have to do this to protect the life of the whole body. And that's exactly what God had to do. Ezekiel 33, God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He doesn't want to do this, but sometimes he has to. And uh, there were many other wars where God was not involved and he wasn't directing it and making it happen. But in a few cases, he said to the Israelites, we need to do this. We need to uh, cut off this, this damaged part that is threatening the life of my rescue plan. Right. What about when Jesus came? So let me read you a few verses. In John 12, verse 31, Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Jesus came to fight against the devil. Let me just read you a couple of, of verses about this. In Luke 16, verse 16, it says, The law and the prophets were until John the Baptist. And since that time, since John, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. So Jesus was saying up until John the Baptist, who announced Jesus's arrival on earth, the law and the prophets were preached. The law was telling us rules of God's perfect standard. The prophets were prophesying ahead to Jesus. And both of them were getting us ready for Jesus's arrival. You say, how is that true? Well, the prophets were telling us about Christ and the law was, we're told in the New Testament, showing us our need for a savior. It was never going to enable us to be perfect, but it was showing us by holding up a standard of God's rules. It was showing us we need help so that we would cry out for Christ when he arrived and said, and we would say, Lord, I need salvation and forgiveness. Up until John, the law and the prophets, since then, the kingdom of God and people are pressing into it. And then a very similar verse in Matthew 11, 11, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, John the Baptist. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Jesus said that this new kingdom comes in and I'm going to overthrow the ruler of this world. I've got to bring in the kingdom of God by force because the devil has been ruling and, and running things on planet earth for so long. And now it's time for the ruler of this world to be cast out. Just one more verse on this. Matthew 12, 26. Jesus said, if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, whom do your sons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then he will plunder his house? So Jesus came to bring an end to Satan's destructive rule on planet earth. And he bound the strong man. He fought against the devil. You say to me, how did he fight against the devil? Well, he preached truth 
where the devil had told lies. He brought healing where the devil had brought sickness. He raised the dead where the devil had killed. He cast out demons that had been oppressing people. He fed the hungry where the devil had caused hunger. He did all these amazing things. He provided, he fed, he taught, he loved, he forgave where the devil had brought sin and condemnation. And then at the end of his life, we're told in Colossians 2 verse 15, that Jesus disarmed the principalities and powers, the devil and all his forces. He took away their power on the cross. And then he rose again and he said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. There is still a war. Let me try and summarize this now. There is still a war. For those of us who live after Jesus, there is still a war. Just as in the Old Testament, there were wars and evil had to be oppressed with a sword and a spear. There is still a war in the New Testament. But it's not a war of fists, of guns, of ammunition. It's a war of love and a war of peace, a war of truth, a war of the gospel, and a war fighting against the devil rather than fighting against human beings. And I wish that we, including myself, could get this more and more in our minds, because so often we think our enemy is a person or, or an organization or a political party, and actually the enemy is spiritual, and Jesus brought in a kingdom of peace but of spiritual war. Let me read you a couple of verses. In John chapter 18, Jesus is speaking to Pontius Pilate, and he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Suddenly the war is not a physical war. A couple of other verses. 2 Corinthians 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So how do we fight this war? He says we cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And we bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We speak words, we preach truth, we fight against arguments and thoughts that are against the knowledge of God. And by doing so, we set men's minds free so that they can find the truth. But also, when we speak God's word and we pray and we rebuke the devil and his demons, we're fighting against spiritual forces. So we show love, we show forgiveness, we show grace, we preach truth, and we in the spiritual realm, fight against the devil and his forces. Friends, I have such a strong burden for this because I grew up as a believer in a denomination which said they believed in the devil and said they believed in, in all those things. But actually, in effect, they thought we should just ignore the devil, ignore evil things, uh, God will take care of everything. God is in control of everything. I don't need to fight. And in fact, it led me to being a passive Christian where I just sat back and I said, well, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. If he doesn't, it won't. I don't need to do anything about it. And whatever the circumstances do in my life, wherever they blow me, that is God's 
will for my life. And suddenly, at a point in my life, I realized that the Bible says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the armor of God so that you can fight and withstand. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. There are so many verses where we're told we have to stand against the devil. We have to enforce the kingdom of God. Jesus sent us out. He said, all authority has been given to me. Now you go and make disciples. There is a fight. There is a war. But many times we as believers fall into two ditches of error. The one ditch is we think we mustn't fight. We must just be passive and, and there's no enemy, spiritual or physical. We just let circumstances take us wherever. The other ditch is we become worldly fighters. Instead of using the weapons of our warfare that are not worldly or carnal, we use worldly weapons. We try to force people. We pick up guns and spears and sticks or or we use political things to try and force people. We, we want to enforce God's will physically. You know, in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus was about to go back up to heaven, he was telling the disciples about the day of Pentecost. He said, the, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And they said, are you going to, at this time, restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, they were saying, is there a political element to this? Are you going to throw out the Romans and we're going to have Israel back as our own nation again? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that God has set in his authority. But you go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. In other words, our job is to spread the gospel, not to enforce a physical kingdom of God on earth. Now, the question comes. Do we celebrate war? And what do we do about war as believers? How do we handle this? Well, before I answer that, let me just summarize what I've said so far. God has sent Jesus to beat the devil. He's given you forgiveness and authority over the devil. And your job is to fight the devil by resisting him, by praying, by speaking scripture, by speaking the gospel to people, by loving people but not to use physical weapons. That's the, the overall picture. But God wants us to be aggressive in fighting the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But now what about war? This is the conclusion, the way that I've read the Bible, is that the Bible is written for us as individuals to know how to come back to God, to be close to God, to please God, to be full of God and for churches to know how we're supposed to run churches. But it is not given as a manual on how to run a country or a business which has both Christians and non-Christians in it. What do I mean by that? I mean, if you are in authority over a company or even over a country and you are a government leader, you, in your personal capacity, can serve God and obey the Bible fully. Don't kill, don't pick up arms. But you have a second responsibility to the people who have put you in power. If it's a company, there's shareholders or whatever. If it's a country, there are voters who have voted you in. And it's not your job to take your personal beliefs and impose them on others who do not believe. And so a person who has been elected into office in a country 
which is democratic, they have to follow what the, the rule of the majority has voted them in to do. And they have to follow non-believers' rules. And non-believers are not required to turn the other cheek and to do all these things. And sometimes we have to realize I'm a Christian in my own capacity, but I'm living in a messed up world where not everyone follows God. And I'm responsible for other people. I'm representing other people, not all of whom are believers in Christ like I am. And so there are times where a Christian leader has to go to war. There are times where a Christian gets conscripted into the army and they have to say, I am going to do my duty, not because uh, I like it, not because I want to, but because I'm representing something bigger and a whole bunch of other people. If everyone were believers, then we could all enforce these rules. We could all say no more war. And we wouldn't need war. In the thousand years of peace, we will see that that's the case. But for now, we're living in a broken world. And so often, leaders of businesses, leaders of uh, organizations, have to do things, not that are sinful, but they say, I'm representing what this company or this or this organization wants me to do and that may involve doing things like not giving money to certain charities because the organization has voted not to do it or as a government leader saying we are going to war to stop Hitler. So do we celebrate war? We don't celebrate it but we honor those who've sacrificed and we mourn together. That's what Remembrance Day is. We mourn together that war is necessary. We mourn together that people have given their lives to make freedom possible. We mourn together that brave men and women had to sacrifice their lives to help us. And we look forward to the day when we will no longer need war. Jesus, please help us to not fight with the weapons of this world, but to fight the devil with spiritual force and with, with your words and with prayer and with the authority that you give us. But also, Lord, help us to understand this broken world we live in has war and we need to understand and we need to do our part to serve you in it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.